Are you ready to receive what God has for you? This can't be about the guy on the stage. It has to be about the God we serve. It has to be about our Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be about our awesome Father. It has to be about the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to receive from Him? And I know that there are very real things that can keep us from receiving. And God cares more about those things than you do. So why don't you just take a moment and give God what, what concerns you this morning. Maybe a person, maybe a circumstance. Just cast your cares on Him. He cares for you. Now, Lord, speak into our lives. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What's our mission statement here at Summit Church? Excellent, yeah. And uh, each week, in light of the text that we're working, we have another specific uh, challenge, another specific goal in mind, but I don't want to limit what the Holy Spirit may want to speak into your lives. But as I was focusing on teaching, this is what was on my heart. This is to challenge each one of us to strengthen our resolve to go hard after God. Okay, that's what this is all about. Does anyone here desire to know God beyond your current level of knowing Him? Yeah, all right, I love that. Yes, awesome. I think the fact that you're here says something about your searching, your, your, your wanting, your desire to know Him more. If you showed up specifically today because you knew we were starting this study uh, based on A.W. Tozer's classic, that it says something about your heart and your desire to know Him. I think the fact that we've been running out of books as people are preparing for this study says something about your desire to know him more and I celebrate that because it's really what it's all about the apostle Paul we could say had a deep relationship with the Lord you can think about his encounter with the Lord I mean this epiphany on his way to Damascus where Jesus talked to Paul directly in fact showed as a bright light that knocked him down to the ground and even blinded him, right? And, and Paul says in his walk with Christ, these words, I want to know Christ. Just hear that right there, okay? A guy who knows Christ says, I want to know Christ. And then he gives us these two contrasting sides of Christ here. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. So the power side of Christ and the vulnerable side of Christ. But Christ in power was willing to lay his life down for our sakes and suffer at our own hands, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's in prison when he, he penned these words, but chains couldn't keep him from his pursuit of God. And I think it's important right here that we stop and, and point out your current circumstances cannot stop your pursuit of God. They have nothing on you. You can pursue God regardless of where you are in life and you can pursue God regardless of what's going on in your life, around you, what's happening in our world. And then we go on here that though Paul knew Christ, it's clear that he wanted 
to know him more. And this word to know, gnosko, valuable word. I want an ever-increasing awareness of his manifest presence in the day-to-day affairs of my life. I don't merely want to understand some doctrine about Christ. I really want to be acquainted with him, as as acquainted with him as I would any soulmate or any true best friend. This is what I want. This is what Paul is talking about here today. I don't simply want redemption. I want the Redeemer. It's a relationship here. But our desire to know God kind of gets muddied with all sorts of questions. Questions like, well, what's God's part in this deal? And what's my part in this deal? And how much effort do I need to put forth in my desire to, to know him? And Tozer begins to help us and begins to answer some of these questions by giving us a couple of theological expressions, the first of which is prevenient grace. And it's the idea that God takes the first step, that God acts first, that he moves first. And before a person can seek God, God must first have sought the, the person. He's the hound of heaven, and he's on a hunt for you, sniffing you out. Seeking you out because he wants you to know him and he wants a relationship with you. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last days. So we have to believe that God is drawing people to Jesus. And in believing that God is drawing people to Jesus, we want eyes to see where God is working and where he's moving and where he's drawing and where he isn't so that we're not fighting battles that are unnecessary. As in love, we want to share the good news with other people. Lord, I just want to enter into what you're doing. God gives us a desire to pursue him. God gives people the desire to pursue him. So it poses the question, well, so are you talking about election where some are saved and some aren't? I can't speak to all those things directly and specifically, and I will not. But I know this, God drew me. And therefore, I have to believe that he's drawing people. And do I want to go around saying, well, he's drawing me, but he's not drawing you? No, I simply want to see where God is moving and where he's working but we have to be honest that left to ourselves we are totally incapable of responding to god it's god who puts this in us in fact the scripture says we are downright hostile toward god and the things of god look at it this is in romans chapter 8 starting with verse 7 look what it says it says the sinful mind okay now that's the niv translation but it actually means that the flesh, it means you and me left to ourselves. Okay, It means what we are apart from, from Christ. It means the natural fallen state of man. That in this state, that we are hostile. You see that? To God. That that mind does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature, which is flesh, our natural state, cannot please God. And it's the flesh that convinces us that we're good enough. But what does it say here? Left to ourselves, we cannot please God. Is it because God is some kind of ogre? No. It's because God by nature is holy. And, and if you think you're going to approach God like a dry piece of grass thinks it's going to approach a fire, <laughs> you better, better think again about that one. Okay? Yeah. Can't, we cannot please God. 
Now, for the believer, look at this. You, however, you as a transformed one, are no longer controlled by the flesh, by the sinful nature, but by the who? By the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So we can see that, that without God doing the work in us first, there's nothing in us to desire him. Our capacity to accept him and to believe is a gift from God, and it's, it's actually called provenient grace, the word we're working with, okay? Provenient grace doesn't save a man, but it draws a man to the one who can save him. This is what we're talking about, God taking the first step. And therefore, uh, we don't go around judging people or with a critical spirit. We don't go around. But actually, as a new believer, I heard people ask the question, why don't they accept Christ? What's wrong? Why can't they see it? It's like, are we denying Scripture? Instead, we need to fall down our faces and pray for them. God, show yourself to them. Show me where you're working in their lives so that I can speak into their lives as well. And for ourselves, we humbly approach God with gratitude for the fact that he's given us this gift, this capacity to believe. And we rejoice. We rejoice in that. Jesus' words again, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So the Spirit helps us to put faith in Christ, and that leads us to a second theological term here, and that term is justified by faith. Justified by faith alone. Justified, made right with God, not by our own goodness, not by any effort we put forth in ourselves, but we are justified by responding with the kind of faith that God gives us to respond with. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says this, it is by grace, it is by God's exceptional goodness that you have been saved, if you're saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can take credit for it. See that? So that none of us can boast. Instead, all we can say is all glory to God. Amen? Yeah, so we start right here. If God has given you a faith that enables you, or if God is giving you a faith that is enabling you right at this moment, rejoice. Call on the name of Jesus. It's the starting point of everything that we want to talk about today. It's the starting point that we want to talk about always. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And not only you, you and your oikos. I love that word oikos because it means you and your sphere of influence. God overflowing you so that's contagious to the people around you. The Christian faith, uh, some don't like this expression, but I think it just gives us, you know, every analogy breaks down at some point, but the faith is like a communicable disease. And we go around sneezing on some people. Yeah, better picture is the overflow of the fountain that God is pouring into us. So now we have to turn a corner in all that. Rest confident in your salvation. He who has the Son has life. The sad side is scriptural too. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
I don't write these things to you so you can go around who has life and who doesn't. That's not in there. But we can, we can assume that's there. He who has a son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know, that you know, that you know, that you know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have received that which we've asked from him. In context, specifically, to what are you doing with the Son? But the sad thing is, is that we've turned all of this into some sort of mechanical system. You know, pray this little prayer and God will give you a guaranteed ticket to heaven. That, that's what we've done with this. I mean, it, it's as if we're saying that a man can be saved without ever hungering and thirsting after God himself. Recognizing that we have this deep longing and this deep thirst. That a man can be saved void of any kind of relationship with God. Just pray this little prayer and that's the end of it. Or we can be saved without any kind of moral transformation whatsoever. Just keep believing on Jesus and live however you want to. And what we're taught is to rest secure on what scripture says, but nothing is taught about a growing vital relationship with the living God. That's what this is about. God wants to know you. Jesus says this. He says, my sheep, listen to my voice. It's about obedience right there. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. How about this? And they follow hard after me. Are you consciously aware of God's presence in your life? Would you like to be? I mean, this is what it's all about. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 5:19 says, and this is the good news translation, our message is that God was making all human beings his friends through Christ. God did not keep an account of their sins. And he has given us the message which, which tells how he makes them his friends. And, and that really is the, how he makes others his friends also. He's making us friends so that we can make friends for God. You see, we gain access to the Father through faith in Christ alone. That's the starting point of everything that we're talking about, of a very real relationship with him. And what it leads us to is this. The only way we're ever going to truly build a relationship with anybody, including God himself, is to spend time with him. Personal time with God. That's right. That's what we're talking about. And it's not personal time that's filled with news. You know, oh, we must be building a relationship because we're watching television together. No, <laughs> it's a personal relationship where you're talking to each other, you're getting to know God, and God is revealing himself to you, and God is growing in a relationship with you. That's what this is all about. A relationship isn't built upon a one-time event, such as the one prayer where I prayed when I was four years old to receive Jesus, and therefore I must be a believer. It's not a one-time prayer. It's an ever-growing relationship. It's not infant baptism. That's not about relationship. 
God puts a desire in those who have a desire in us to know him and the result of us coming to know him is a recognition that we need to know him more. You see, so the application is we go hard after God. Listen to Tozer just a little bit right here. God is a person. And in the deep of his mighty nature, he thinks, he wills, he enjoys, he feels, he loves, he desires and suffers as any other person may. In making himself known to us, he stays by the familiar pattern of personality. He communicates with us through the avenues of our minds, our wills, and our emotions. The continuous and unembarrassed interchange of love and thought between God and the soul of the redeemed man is the throbbing heartbeat of the New Testament faith. I'm going to change that word right there. Second paragraph, listen to this. The intercourse between God and the soul is known to us in conscious, personal awareness. It is personal, that is, it does not come through the body of believers as such, but is known to the individual and to the body through the individual individuals which compose it and second the conscious that is it does not stay below the threshold of consciousness and work there unknown to the soul as in the instance of infant baptism as is thought by some to do but comes within the field of awareness where the man can know it is as he come to know it as he knows any other fact or experience so the application, do you truly know him? Do you know him? Uh, Tozer points out that it's an intimate relationship, that it's a awareness, that it doesn't come through a body of believers. That is so important. Friends, there are many benefits to being a part of a body of believers. Okay? Let's just talk about that for a moment. In fact, going beyond that, According to Scripture, and according to my understanding of Scripture, the only way that the world will be able to recognize who true Christ followers are is by our love for one another. So if you're one of those persons who says, you know, I do my own thing and I really don't know church, you have literally shut off your testimony to the world. But here's the problem, and here's the tension in what Tozer's trying to get, apart, get across here. There are those in our churches who believe that they have been saved and that they have a ticket to heaven by, their, by virtue of the fact that they go to church plus nothing. Can I just tell you, going to church doesn't make you any more of a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's about God wanting to know him. Do you know him? Do you recognize his voice? To be a Christian means to be a follower. It means to be a student, a learner of Christ. This is an ongoing thing. You don't just get the degree that you've completed the course, okay? It's all the way until you see him face to face. Anybody here want to say you've completed, you're perfect, you're, uh, you're done? Okay, yeah, you're done based on what Christ has accomplished for you. But it's not, but you're not complete 
in the sense that he has so much more to do in your life. And here's the good news. The good news is if you don't have a relationship with God through Christ, you can. But every one of us must come to this place of considering the reality of not, not hiding behind the smokescreen, behind all the hypocrites at church. This is you and him. That's why our deal is all eyes on Jesus. It's about, we don't look to the left and to the right for our experience. We look to him because we realize everybody else can fail us. In fact, I can fail everybody. And so in light of that, I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus and I'm walking in grace, okay? I know you can disappoint me. So don't worry, let's get that settled right now because you're not my savior anyway, okay? This is what we're talking about. But we have to get to the place where God is just as real as any other experience, any other relationship that we enjoy in life. If you want God today, first thank God for the fact that he's already working in your heart. And then out of that, receive Jesus. Respond to Jesus with this whole idea of I'm tired of doing life my way. I'm turning around. I want to do life your way. I'm following you. I want you in my life. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Salvation is the place where it all begins. So many believers want to stop their pursuit of God at the point of praying that little prayer. And they'll say, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I do. I've accepted Jesus as my personal Savior, and that's enough. Okay, I'm satisfied with that. And the expression that we like to use is, I'm saved, I'm satisfied, and I'm stuck. But that's not what God has for us. There's, there's so much more. In fact, uh, tragically, when I first moved to Estes Park, I heard about a man who was desiring more of God. And at his church, they gave an altar call. And this guy went forward just desiring more of God. And uh, the pastor himself met that man down at the altar and asked him, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And the man said, yes, I do. And the pastor said, well, then I have no more to offer you. Yeah. No, Jesus is the starting point. And consequently, we fail to tell people about the reality of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We fail to tell people about how we tend to retake the position of who's going to be king in our lives and how daily we need to learn to surrender to God, give him that position of our lives to refocus our eyes because every day there are distractions that draw us to the left and to the right and keep us from our primary focus, which is the mission of this church. And what is that mission again? You better believe it. You better believe it. A limitless God has limitless potential in your understanding of him. And this leads us to this major paradox, to know God, yet still be in pursuit of him. Salvation is a work that God does in us that results in a recognition and a desire to know him more. Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, that they may have an ever-increasing conscious awareness, a growing awareness 
of who you are, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. I think Moses is maybe a great Old Testament model of a New Testament truth. And, and I believe this works because in the Old Testament, people were given the Holy Spirit by special appointment, okay? Today, the Holy Spirit's available to everybody who put their faith in Christ. And so here's Moses who has this relationship with God. He's already talked to God. He's had time with God. And yet in his knowing God, he says to God, if you are pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. So God agrees. I'm going to bless you, Moses, to which Moses with great audacity says, now show me your glory. (laughs) God was so pleased with that request that Moses got a display of God like the rest of us can only begin to imagine. But I believe God wants to show himself to us. Listen some more to Tozer here. I want deliberately to encourage this mighty longing for God. Did you hear that? I want to deliberately encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought our present lowest state. He's talking about the church. The lack of desire has brought this lowest state of the Western world church. He goes on. The stiff and wooden quality of our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all, is the deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ among his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so long in vain. I want to go on. Listen. Every age has its own characteristics. Right now, we are in the age of religious complexity. The simplicity which Christ, which is in Christ is rarely found among us. In its stead, we have programs, we have methods, we have organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. The shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, and the servile imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we in this day know God only imperfectly and we know the peace of God scarcely, if at all. Let me go on. If we would find God amid all the religious externals, we must first determine to find him and then proceed in the way of simplicity. Now, as always, God discovers himself to babes and hides himself in the thick darkness from the wise and the prudent. Oh, my goodness, we spend so much time defending our doctrinal positions. I'd sure like to see a little baby having those arguments. And that divides us. It sends the wrong message to the world. I'm going to keep going here. We must simplify our approach to God. We must strip down to essentials, and they will be found to be blessedly few. We must put away all effort to impress and come with a guileless, come with a guileless candor of childhood. If we do this without doubt, God will quickly respond. It's interesting to me that since I've been a believer, I've heard many, many, many people blame their lack of spiritual growth on the church. 
It's the church's fault. I'm not getting fed. My needs aren't being met there. And so on we go, chasing after uh, all kinds of teachers, hoping to scratch some kind of itch. And what we're really saying is, God is not enough. I need God, and I need something else. It's a deal where I need God plus, and I'm expecting you to fill the plus. And if you're not filling the plus, then there's something wrong with you. But here's the truth. Listen to the statement right here. When at last, hear it now, when at last the religious spirits have said their last word, there is little we need but God himself. Wow. It applies to us individually. It applies to us corporately. Individually in the sense that that's where our growth comes, spending time with them corporately in the sense that we spur each other on in this relationship. And it's the only way that will truly glorify him. We need him together, and we need him as individuals. But does it sound too simplistic to you? Well, just consider Jesus' words to the disciples when they were arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom. And this is what he said. I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's a message that God reveals himself to helpless babes. And somehow he is hidden from those who are proud. That's what's happening here. We need a simple faith that says, I need God plus nothing. And then we need to make sure that we continue that same level of faith throughout our entire Christian journey. Daddy, daddy, I need daddy. Daddy, I'm thirsty. Daddy, I need a drink. Daddy, I'm tired. Daddy, I need rest. Atodome. He was a young Moni man in Indonesia. He was visiting the Beoga Valley when he realized they were kind of short firewood, so he offered to go out in the woods and, and collect firewood for them. But as he was out there working, a tree fell on him and broke his back. And there he's laying kind of helpless when these young Christian Damals who were with him, helping him, said simply to him, No problem, sir. We pray for you, and the chief of heaven will answer our prayers and will heal you. So they prayed for a Toto May, and he got up, and walked back to his hut as though nothing had happened. But now he's thinking about it. He's thinking, what sort of thing is this talk about the chief of heaven and his son? Because it surely has power. Sometime later, he's still on this journey when a messenger came from his own village and let him know that his son had grown very sick. In fact, he was growing weaker by the day. And again, the Damal Christians are, are hearing this, and, and they say to him, don't be upset. The chief of heaven has power to heal your boy. We will pray for him, and he will make him well. So they prayed, and then Ototome began his journey home. When he finally got there, he found his son to be as healthy as ever outside playing with these little kids. The prayer was answered just as the Damal had prayed. Childlike faith. I believe God can do this. Yet our Western world wants to argue about even that. Daddy, Daddy, I need Daddy. Would you pray with me?
God, we have tasted your goodness. And it has both satisfied us and it's made us thirsty for more of you. We are painfully conscious of our need for more of you and for your grace. Though we are ashamed to admit, somehow we have a lack of desire. Oh God, we want, oh God, we need more of you. We long to be filled with ever-increasing longing. We thirst to understand the level of our thirst. Show us thy glory, we pray, so that we might truly know thee. Begin in mercy a new work of love within us. Say to our souls, rise up, my love, my fair ones, and come away. Then give us grace to rise and follow thee up from the misty lowland where we have wandered so long.